So I think my house is haunted. I think my I think my house is haunted. Oh wait, shit! It's a problem. <laughs> Welcome back to the Killing Time podcast. Um, sorry about that. So yeah, welcome back to the Killing Time podcast. It's good to be back after a long break. Saki and I we both took a bit of a break because we had our finals, our exams. So um, we had to focus on that. But um, now we're back. It's good to be back. Hi guys, I'm Bairavi, and I run this podcast along with my best friend, Saki. Well, uh, I'm. It feels good to be recording after like a huge hiatus and a stressful hiatus, Saki. But uh, we are here again to bring you two creepy dudes slash dudettes slash people yeah. identifying the non-binary or whatever. <laughs> but here we go. Um, so by the way, I think we can hit with the warnings. Warnings. Can I have? Ha, so okay. Um, yes, you can have the warning. Um, warning: the following presentation contains graphic descriptions of crime scenes, adult dialogue, mentions of assault, and strong languages. Strong languages. You know it's been a long time when I'm stuttering on the warning. Strong yeah. language. <laughs> This is intended for mature audiences. Viewers, discretion. Again, viewers. Oh my God, I'm messing up so hard. Listeners' discretion is highly advised. Thank you. That was a struggle. Saki, take it away. Yeah. Uh. So today I'm gonna be talking about uh Carl Eugene Watts, uh from Canada. Uh. So basically, this dude was known for kidnapping his victims from their homes, and he used to torture them by either slashing them with a knife until they bled to death, or either or he would like drown them in a bathtub i know i started with the whole uh mo oh. but uh, you know i mean there's no point in holding substance for these people so what happened to if we're going to carry on with his life story so uh when he was a kid he was uh oh wait hold on i'm sorry uh so when he was a kid <laughs> he had uh two younger siblings and he was the eldest one of the lot so he kind of felt uh, you know sidelined because his parents their parents had to like give attention to the younger children and it all started from there that whole mm-hmm. you know loneliness kind of like it kind of like uh, manifested into like the serial killer inside him so uh, mm-hmm. at the age of 13 what happened was what suffered from meningitis and high fever and he was pulled out of school for several months and during that time he used to live with his grandparents and uh, in his free time he used to go for hunting and skinning rabbits hence the whole obsession with the knife has started then because you know he he used to entertain himself by hunting and skinning rabbits you know it's like an it's like a sure early sign to find out if like a person has murderous tendencies if they as a child enjoy inflicting torture or killing small animals it that slowly manifests into them becoming serial killers that's just i kind of yeah i kind of realized that i mean we've been doing this podcast for like i think 3 4 episodes and <laughs> nothing surprises us i think but i swear yeah bro <laughs> so oh apparently at 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 
when he was 13 he also used to enjoy fantasizing about torturing and killing women it was something he admitted mm-hmm. later on um mm-hmm. so i told you right he was pulled out of school uh, because of the illness so he found it very difficult mm-hmm. all right because i mean for such a such a young age if you're going to be pulled out of school it's going to be difficult to follow your classes so when he returned to class yeah, after being sick he was unable to catch up and his reading skills were below that of his peers he couldn't like uh, follow what was being taught so what happened was he was uh uh it kind of like again it was a humiliation for him because he realized that he couldn't be uh, at par with his friends so that's when he kind of like or got this inferiority complex and started like inflicting pain upon others so what he would do is he mm-hmm. would um, many girls would come about and tell that you know uh, Carl Watts is kind of like attacking me or he's like kind of like uh, you know um trying to come and assault me but these these were just mm-hmm. that but finally at the age of 15 he had uh, attacked and sexually assaulted a woman in her home so what he would do is he was a paper boy so uh, when he used to like leave the paper to her, to the lady uh, she mm-hmm. he had attacked her at her home and then when the police found out uh, his uh, confession he just said that in court i just felt like beating someone up so i kind of assaulted her wow yeah so yeah, because of, okay he was uh, institutionalized in a clinic in detroit and it was mm-hmm. then they found out that watts had a very low iq somewhere in the 70s and that you know are you kidding 70s or yeah 70s low 70s is iq damn. 70s damn okay <laughs> I, I mean okay <laughs> okay well, we shouldn't be giggling this is a serious podcast just okay, kidding okay. now much yes <laughs> but what happened was like they even predicted that you know he could go into a case of mental retardation uh but they tried to like since it was an institution they tried to like avoid you know uh him going to that state as much as possible uh so however but like only after 3 months he was uh, evaluated again and he was sent back home but the doctor said mm-hmm. that uh, there are chances that he may go paranoid with strong homicidal impulses homicidal homicidal okay. impulses and uh this should have been seen as a warning sign from their grandparents and their parents maybe but no they didn't do anything uh so what happened was he returned to school and guess what uh he finished his schooling and then he gra- he went to college and then in within 3 months he was expelled because uh, he was found stalking and sexually assaulting another woman and also oh. a prime suspect in an unsolved murder of a female student so oh, in college okay. in college he had already murdered someone this is a speculation but they had uh, no clue as to whether he had done it or not but because they found mm-hmm. evidence for him sexually assaulting a woman uh, he went into uh, you know institu- he went to an institution again so it was the second time he was being admitted okay. to a mental facility 
the doctor so so the doctor had said over there that he is still a danger and he has a strong impulse to beat up a uh, woman but uh, because of the patient co- uh, confidentiality uh, the staffers were unable to tell this to anybody else so not many people knew about him and they didn't take him seriously uh, so when he was let out uh, five days later after being coming out of the institution uh, he had murdered this girl called Gloria Steele she was found with 33 stab wounds to the chest 33 stab wounds Remember? 33 yeah we're talking jeez do you know the amount of like physical exertion that it takes yeah yeah like, we spoke about this in our three times yeah we spoke about yeah. this right uh spencer deed yeah 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 so he was he was i mean i really don't get this like he was caught multiple times but somehow they just like kind of let him go so he was caught okay and he even admitted to attacking 15 females but he refused to talk about the murder that he had committed all right um okay so again uh, they had admitted him uh, to an institution they had diagnosed mm-hmm. him with an antisocial personality disorder and somehow magically i have i, I can't figure out why but he was let out again all right that makes zero sense but that okay. makes zero sense i thought i was like did i do my research wrong but somehow the uh, the hospital psychiatrist like investigated and uh, they said insufficient uh, evidence so i mean let's just diagnose him with anti social personality disorder and let's let him go i mean that was the case there but then uh, later on after he was like discharged his uh, murder spree his like terrible murder sprees began popping out so he he killed a lady called ann arbor uh, so uh, out in the public so she was bled to death uh, on a sidewalk while you know he had uh, while uh, she was attacked with a scalpel okay and no then no witnesses no witnesses it it maybe could have been wow it could have been in the night wow then okay. uh, there was another lady called glenda richmond uh, she was 26 and she was found dead on her doorway with 28 stab wounds this is one strong dude bro yeah and uh, apparently uh, there was a no- oh wait you think 28 and 33 is too much So wait, you think that 26 and 33 stabbing wounds is too much? Wait, hear about Rebecca Greer. She was uh, his next victim. She died outside her uh, house after being stabbed 54 times. Wow, my mind can't process this. Like, how would you have the physical strength to stab a human being that many times? now because of this stabbing he was like his victims were either found drowned in a bathtub or like found slashed like this or stabbed so excuse me i actually burped in the middle of the podcast um <laughs> so okay. the you know the media comes in and they obviously have to give him a very catchy nickname so he sounds very cool right 
so they gave him the yeah. name the sunday morning slasher uh so that doesn't sound cool that doesn't sound cool it sounds like a newspaper name yeah yeah actually true actually true uh so this was a kind of a, a turning point because uh, remember his first case as a paper boy where he told that oh. i have something to kill oh paper boy newspaperish name it all makes sense now it's a full circle for carl eugene watts it's a full circle yep. for him. so the detective who was assigned for the paper boy case when he was 13 he saw these mm. articles and he realized that you know what wait found outside the house being stabbed or being assaulted this has a very similar mo to the boy i confronted when he was 13 years old so the mm-hmm. the previous detective had contacted the present detective who was on this case and he told about the whole uh, similarities uh but uh, they were still working on it all right but coming back to mm-hmm. watts watts was actually having his own drug problems he had a family mm-hmm. also uh he had he had a daughter uh with his girlfriend he didn't get married i'm assuming uh but mm-hmm. uh, he had uh, failed marriages or he had a couple of failed marriages because uh, the ladies realized you know something strange about him god bless mm-hmm. them god bless them because they because the intuition it's always the intuition it is and uh, another turning point in the case was um there was a lady named wait stocky stop again stocky stop again so uh, there was another turning point where there was this lady called ann arbor okay so she contacted the police saying that you know i'm being followed by a strange man please help me so the woman that particular woman she uh, hid in a doorway and then the police were able to like uh, come to the spot and they were able to observe the man who was searching for okay. her so what happened was the police pulled this man over and they identified him as coral watts now coral was mm-hmm. a nickname given to his uh, to him by his grandparents so he as he introduced himself as coral watts okay so okay. inside the car they had found uh, but wait this guy was actually carl yeah yeah it was him hmm. but uh, okay. he introduced himself as coral watts because uh, that was his uh, childhood nickname uh okay. so inside the car while investigating you know because this man was literally stalking a girl the police like uh wanted to check his car so they found a book that belonged to a lady called rebecca huff all right mm-hmm. now here's what's creepy rebecca huff is dead and she was murdered in september 1980 and the police was suspicious why does he mm-hmm. have a murdered lady's diary uh slash book mm-hmm. with him but see i mean this should obviously give some kind of red lights or red flags to the uh police right but no yeah yeah no because they were why does this guy get off the hook so easily i don't know he, i really don't know like just slipping through fingers i was researching about this particular person i felt like i was doing a bad job of understanding cuz i'm like wait why isn't he being put in jail <laughs> but yeah finally he was caught though so uh he again he there were two ladies in a particular apartment and he attempted to drown one lady 
and the other lady managed to escape all right mm-hmm. uh, so it was because of that other lady who escaped uh they were able to catch him but i think the lady who was uh, drowned in the bathtub i i don't know whether she survived or not so okay. they took him to an uh, the whole interrogation process finally and uh, watts refused to talk all right but uh, one of the district attorneys said that uh, uh, that they would make a deal to him that you know uh, you know tell me all the uh, names of people you murdered i'll give you some certain amount of immu- immunity if you would confess to all the murders i mean that right. so good right like you i don't understand the psychology of this you're begging someone has murdered a bunch of people and you tell them you know what i'll give you immunity to murder if you tell me who you murdered i mean doesn't make sense wow um, no no it doesn't sit right with me but yeah carry on yeah so what happened was um so he kind of like uh admitted attacking 19 women attacking 19 women mm-hmm. of which uh, not Yeah, okay. He only confessed to murdering 13 but he attacked 19 oh. women. Uh Watts also admitted later on that he had murdered 80 more people. Okay, and he rev- 80 uh, yeah, 80. 8 okay. okay. Yeah. Like Very look at the look at the number disparity. Like I think I murdered only 13 people. Oh wait, I murdered 80 actually. Okay, common mistake, of course. Of course, you of can. Course. Mm-hmm. So, what he said was, he said that he admitted very late because apparently they only gave him immunity for a certain number of murders, and beyond that they wouldn't. So he didn't confess that whole eighty thing. But guess what? This, this, I think, mm-hmm. like this is, how do I say it? Like. even the judiciary system can screw up sometimes so what happened was during the whole thing so i think at the end of when the court proceedings are done you have you have to tell why he why the person is being arrested right mm. uh, so what happened was watts wasn't told that the bathtub and the water had been judged as lethal weapons in the sense he wasn't like no one told him that you are also being arrested because you drowned someone and that the bath mm. water are murder weapons okay now because oh, okay tell him that he would he didn't have to like serve his entire life sentence so he actually again he came out after some time oh god <laughs> oh god uh Wow. And, but but then he went back in okay uh but but his whole sentence was again reduced because you know they said you know what you didn't say two words that is bathtub and uh, the water were judged as lethal uh, weapons so my sentence is going to be cut into half but uh, what happened this was this man is living his life on loopholes but uh, the public wouldn't allow it's just thriving the public good for them so because uh, you know because there were many people 80 people like you know the families in the sense is going to be a, a huge outcry 80 families is huge so kind of like you know kind of ignored it and uh, he put him into jail and he even tried to escape 
uh, 2 months into his sentence 2 months after he was sent to jail he managed to slide out of the prison like from i don't know i don't know how he managed to do it but uh, that would be his only last time he would like slip out of the jail because on 2007 he passed away of prostate cancer Oh my God! Oof. Yep. Bro, I'm at this point. I'm wondering if like the the system had an IQ of seventy, or if this dude had an IQ of seventy. I like, don't let him escape. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's probably the but only yeah, wow. To like giggle in the middle of a uh, of a crime, true crime podcast. Holy shit! I mean, I guess it's a coping, coping mechanism because sometimes it gets dark. We all die. It does. It does. I mean, life is dark. So, so who do you have? Okay, so today. So coming to mine, um, I did, mine again is not about uh, a serial killer per se, but this is like a single isolated murder that happened. And um, since it's October, and um, since it's Spooky season. I decided to go with um, a murder case that pertained to Halloween, right? Ooh. And um, so this case, if there wasn't murder involved, it could probably be a badly written love triangle movie, all right? Oh no. So yeah. So my case is known as the Halloween love triangle or the trick or treat murders. Okay. So this is this is a bit of a wild ride, and you've got to like pay attention to the small small details that get thrown in throughout this uh, story. So um, this all starts with this couple called Peter and Betty Fabiano. Um, so Peter was a f- Fabiano, yes. So Peter was like a former truck driver. He used to like drive around trucks and shipments for like a living. and that's when he met betty so um betty at this point when they met already had like two kids at the time okay okay but she was single when they both met and um this was uh, let me say that in the beginning itself they they both met in the 1940s all right okay so um they got together and uh, they met in kingston new york and in 1956 they decided to move to um los angeles Okay. So they moved to LA, and there they have like a huge um, occupational shift from being truck drivers to uh, opening up a beauty shop. They open up two beauty shops um, okay. in Los Angeles. Like it's okay. ba- basically like they run a salon and like sell beauty supplies and all that. Okay. So um, on October thirty first, Halloween day. On 1957, hmm. um, you I told you that Betty had kids, right? So they send their kids out trick or treating, and um, at this time Peter was 35 years old, all right. Okay. And um, the daughters went trick or treating. They came back, and um, the family decided to retire for the night. Okay. And at around um, 11 p.m., the doorbell rings. Okay. At this point, the whole family is like asleep and tucked in and all that. Hmm. So um, Betty turns around and looks at Peter and said, "Do you mind answering that?" Hmm. So Peter decides to um, get up and go answer the door, and he assumes that it's just like a bunch of ticket eaters late in the night. All right. Yeah. So makes sense. Um, huh. at this point, Betty's 
Betty is still half awake in her bed and uh, she hears Peter open the door and say isn't it too late to be trick or treating and then Betty also says that she heard other voices but she couldn't identify those voices okay and she later said that it sounded like two male voices but they were trying to sound like a woman you get it like that it sounded okay, like yeah, a yeah. male voice trying to sound like women okay i got that so um after a few seconds after what she heard them say betty hears like a loud pop okay and it startles the entire family and they all rush out of bed and they go to see what what's the source of the sound okay and they find peter bleeding on the floor he's just lying on the floor bleeding on the carpet and there's nobody there okay oh, no. so um betty like she she immediately runs and calls the cops and uh, one of their daughters judy um mm. she runs to the neighbor who is a part of the uh, lapd okay he's, he's part of the police department okay. so judy runs to the neighbor to get some help so with the help of the neighbor the police um arrive very quickly to the scene and they take peter to the hospital where he is pronounced dead because of his fatal gunshot wound oh, no that's and uh, the police ask betty if yeah rest in peace peter um but yeah so the police ask betty if they saw if she saw something and like if she, like there's anything that they could like take away from her to like get some clue about this murder but like betty is understandably beyond herself with grief she is sobbing she's crying she just lo- recently lost her husband right oh no so um, yeah the detectives then decide yeah the detectives then like decide to take another tangent and they go to her house to see if they can find any clues and all that because if somebody gets shot there has to be like bullet casings right apart from the bullet that's in your yeah uh, in the person's body they yeah they look for the shells but curiously there is no shells there's no other evidence there's nothing in the house okay okay which should obviously be there but it's not okay so they at this point they think it's like an it's like an attempted robbery gone wrong okay but and they don't really have any solid leads at this point two days later uh, betty's considerably calmed down and she can actually like talk to the police without breaking down and all that mm. so um the police go to them and uh, yeah so the police go to betty and like she tells them about their beauty shops how they ran it and um, she says that peter was a likable man and nobody um really had beef with him like he was mm. okay he was friendly he was likable mm. and um so the detectives are like uh, let's go and talk to the friends and family to um, get something about this case to find okay. out who could have been a suspect okay. but there also it was a dead end because everybody says that peter is well loved and nice hmm. so it gets a little bit suspicious here because it's too nice like how can hmm. one person not have even one person who doesn't like them right yeah so can you do ability to show yeah i mean you can't please everybody yeah but yeah so um the detectives come back to betty again after reaching this dead end and they ask her to like rack her brain one last time to hmm. see if there could be anybody like anybody that comes to mind who could have done this hmm. so be like Bet- betty thinks for a moment and then she gives them the name of a woman called uh joan rabel okay Okay. she is supposedly a family friend all right so um the cops go looking for joan 
and they bring her in to inter- to be interrogated and all that but eventually they have to let her go because there's no substantial evidence or hard solid proof against her and they have to let her go all okay. right and there's really nothing that can pin her down hmm um so a month passes by after this whole thing happened and it's like slowly becoming a cold case a month passes by and then the police station gets like an anonymous call okay, okay. and the call, the call says go to this rented locker in a department store uh in downtown los angeles and they say that they'll find something supposedly linked to the murder that they're trying to solve mm-hmm. so the police are like at last a crumb crumbed so let's go crumbs. check it out what yes yes precious crumbs so they decide to go like check it out hmm. and um yeah so they go to the locker and they get it to be opened hmm. and they find a gun there all right Ooh. and um gun. the bullets in the gun there's only one singular bullet left in the gun and that bullet matches the bullet that was found in peter's body all right oh no and, yeah so they decide they decide to like trace it back to who the gun belongs to and they see that it's in, belongs to this person named uh goldine phaser okay who is goldine phaser who's this new character they so let me tell you um goldine is uh a woman she's 43 years old hmm. she was born in illinois to um german immigrants and she moved to los angeles in like 1940 all right hmm. so she worked as a secretary and there was no evident connection between her and the fabiano family like okay okay they, there's there is no connection okay she was married briefly at some point of time and she separated like she got a divorce from her husband So hmm. plot twist Goldin decides to dip into the lady bond. She is hmm. a gay icon already. Yes. Yeah, yes, so, finally um, some LGBTQ um, representation in our podcast. But but but, but. <laughs> it's not it's not going to go great. No. So um yeah, Goldin is um gay and which is very taboo because this is the 1950s that we're talking about oh, and no. uh, yeah homophobia was running rampant and all that but yeah goldine here was our rebel gay icon all right so um the bullet matches uh goldine's gun from peter's body mm-hmm. and uh they the police go find goldine and goldine is just like she immediately confesses she's like yeah bro i did it all right and uh what? she says she says within quotes it's honestly a relief to get it off my mind she oh, says that to the cops no. it's a bloody icon okay oh my uh, god this has no chill so um this has yeah, no chill no chill goldin has no chill so like the cops are like why are you telling this to us why are you like giving us this information so easily or like at least supposed to lie for 2 minutes and then goldine is like chill bro i'm going to spill the tea you have a lot to note is like take notes and she's like she's going off on the story so this is what goldine had to say to the cops so she says that she had a friend who asked her to do it mm. and her friend's name is john do you see the connection oh 
spicy betty betty called it betty smart she called it okay she knew jo- she knew joan was behind this so goldin said that her friend joan asked her to do it hmm. and the cops are like whoa we already know like we questioned uh, joan and all but we had to like let her go so give me more queen and uh, <laughs> and then and then goldin's like hold my beer and she's like she's going off okay she's not even like holding back on even one single detail and she's ratting out joan fully Hmm. So um what we come to know from Goldine's statement is that uh, Joan was a former employee at the Fabiano's beauty shops all right hmm. and yeah um so Goldine says that uh, Joan talked her into committing committing this murder right so Joan and Goldine were like really close friends close, close friends i'm saying close friends in quotes so um yeah had planned the murder for 3 whole months um the story is john and goldin were like really close friends and hmm. take that with a pinch of salt because close friends close friends basically she got her out they were dating they were dating oh. but Oh. Yeah so basically um since this is like the 1940s 1950s media they don't really um they can't say the l word they can't say lesbian like so okay. since most of the accounts are from that time they just like refer to their relationship of really close friends or like an abnormal friendship and all that okay oh. so yeah oh. basically joan and goldin were dating okay. and they had planned this murder for like 3 whole months okay and um all that they spoke about in that 3 month span was about peter john was like borderline obsessed with peter and she just constantly kept talking about him and described him as this vile and evil person who was abusive who was generally just very bad to betty all right okay so like do you know do you know how like if a friend talks to you about someone that they hate you also start to like develop a hatred for them oh that is the even golden though you've never in a friendship yes like yeah exactly so if your friend hates somebody you got to hate them too and yeah. that's what happened to goldine she never met peter before but um mm. she started hating him with like a burning passion just as much as john did mm. and um she never questioned the reason as to why john was talking about peter in this way because she thought why would she lie to me there's no reason for her to lie to me right so on the 21st of october goldine goes uh, to the small shop in pasadino and buys the gun okay and uh, she tells the shopkeeper that it's for her own protection and that's why she wants the gun and she gets the gun okay see the see john pays for the gun and the two bullets but the gun is in Goldine's name, right? Okay. And um, Joan tells uh, Goldine to go and take the gun and keep it safe in our house, and then they're going to do the deed on Halloween night, mm-hmm. right? John shows up on Halloween night at Goldine's place. Okay, this is where it gets really funny and comical and like like a bad movie. plot and it just doesn't make sense anymore okay? okay so um it's a it's a wild ride from here so john shows up to like goldine's house with like a pair of jeans 
khaki jackets and eye masks for the both of them as their halloween costume they like dressed as cowboys or something i guess okay um, so that they can go and kill peter right so um they drive to his house at around like 9 pm in the night and they park it like a safe distance away from his house and they watching they're like watching the house and waiting for the lights to go off so that they can go and do the deed right okay so um they wait and then as soon as the lights go off they like walk up to the house they ring the bell twice and um goldine so basically um goldine and uh, john they had like paper bags right because they're trick or treaters and you need to put candy in something Mm. So um they both had two paper bags uh, and Goldine's bag was the bag that had the gun in it. Mm. So um when Peter answers the door um she shoots him through the paper bag. She just holds up the paper bag and shoots him through it, all right? Oh. And they flee- yeah. And they flee the scene and they drive off to this lady called Margaret's house, okay? And this is where it gets funny. They go to this lady Margaret's house because um they had borrowed her car. Okay. Like even the car wasn't theirs. Like hmm. this is such a poorly planned uh, murder that um, yeah, yeah sounds to, like, like it to be car. honest. Yeah, they uh, returned the car and um, they both burned the clothes that they were wearing. And hmm. then at this point, Joan looks at Goldine and is like, "Forget that you never ever knew me." And then she just walks away. Oh, All right. Yeah, dick move. I know. So Goldine is obviously very upset and. Um, which is why she's like has like no um hesitation to spill the beans on go john right now okay so this is what happened that night and um which brings us to the burning question as to who is john and why does she hate peter so much all right hmm so um it all started when john was hired by peter i told you she used to work at um their shop right yeah yeah so John was 40 years old at the time and she was a freelancing photographer okay and okay. um she's pretty likable and Peter likes her and uh, she gets along with all the employees and at one point Peter introduces her to Betty his wife because she also owns the shop and works there right hmm. so John immediately becomes obsessed with Betty okay she's proper obsessed and um I guess they become very close in like a short span of time okay. and uh after like a few um weeks of Joan meeting Betty uh Betty and Peter started having marital affairs it's not quite sure in the reports as okay. to why they were having problems or what their problems were but they were just having like marriage problems all right and um Betty's like I need a break I'm just going to like move out for a bit uh, I'm taking the kids and she moves out Guess where she moves into? Take a guess. Wild guess. She moves. Do the honors. She moves. She moves. She moves into like John's house. Okay, and that's where. Wow, the suspense. Everything starts going south. Oh no! Everything starts going south. <laughs> so, um, this is 1957. Again, let me tell you, um, gay people was like a big taboo. No, no, you can't like be gay and all that. Mm. So um again as i said when this came out in the newspapers about the murders and all that um Jones and Betty's relationship would be described as an abnormal friendship or mm. as um just close friends and all that so um 
but from other accounts you couldn't like it's very ambiguous from the accounts that whether they are friends or they're actually lovers but then we have our queen goldie and she's just like yeah yeah they were dating they were lesbians okay oh and God. so the only confirmation that we get about this is from goldie so um yeah so um john and betty are together living together having a good time and then at some point betty starts to miss peter okay she wants to go back okay she wants their marriage to work okay. so she meets up with peter and she's like um listen i want to work things out i want to come back and peter is like um we can get back together but there's like one condition you should cut all ties with john all right okay so um betty is like okay fine i need to go back to peter by john peace out i'm leaving and she just leaves john and um, she moves back in with peter all right so at this this is why john loses her marbles her absolute mind and she's like delirious with like um jealousy and anger and heartbreak and that's why she decides to get rid of peter who is clearly the problem in the in their relationship all right so um she starts um to string along goldine because john john was like a cold hearted bitch to be very honest so um john Sis, knew that you got no goldine... chill out though <laughs> bro this is bad this is bad okay so like um john she sorry no 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 go on go on yeah okay so um john knew that knew of goldine okay like john knew that goldine had a crush on her so um john started stringing goldine along just so that she could use somebody all right so um goldine eventually figured it out at some point but uh, it was too late by that time okay hmm. so um if you noticed john was so conniving and cunning that she had the gun to be purchased under goldine's name had her pull the trigger had her fingerprints all over the gun so she she was basically clean okay at this point she she just strung along goldie just to do the dirty work for her oh my and, god and um she so used her like a, down, she used her man yeah bad she used her i feel very bad for goldie so um yeah uh, goldie realized that she was being baited and used very late and Goldine when when they were arrested uh, Goldine pleaded insanity and said that she did it all just for her friend and that it wasn't personal vendetta or anything like that mm. and at all this point when like Goldine was being um, interrogated and like put under fire for such a long time Joanne did not say one word in her defense like she she just stayed silent Oh. and um after a plea deal both the women goldine and john they got 5 years to life in prison okay? okay and this is the reason why that this the trick or treat murder is cited as an example extremely frequently uh for um giving examples of how women get a softer treatment in the courtroom so this okay. case has been quoted frequently by um scholars and all that regarding oh. this matter ah. so yeah um after they served their sentence uh, goldine was uh, eventually released mm. and she was made the officer of miracle units chapter of the professional women's club all right so john sorry goldine lived till the age of 83 and she passed away due to natural causes in 1998 
the funny thing about this is after her sentence goldin did not do any interview she refused all interviews she was given book offers she refused all of that she never spoke about this ever again right Ooh. and um betty she lived a good life she lived till 81 and she died at the in the year of 1999 uh, with her kids and all that hmm. but the curious part is there is information about goldin and betty but there is not a single peep about joan and what happened to her okay. we do know that joan was released but after that she went completely off the grid there's no trace of her and um people uh, think that she allegedly changed her name and like shifted states and all that okay uh, but yeah um, these two women murdered a man out of sheer jealousy and they spent a very little time um repenting for the crimes that they committed and this is the story of the trick or treat murder oh trick or yep. treat but uh, holy shit this is a crazy story huh? I, uh, it was it was and it can, it shows you, it shows like how strong emotions like jealousy and all that are to like drive a person to actually commit murder and like string along a completely innocent person who had nothing to do with the people that's that's kind of scary i'm not going to lie i mean see yeah. the killers are, i mean are scary but i don't know uh i don't know all these uh just these uh non serial killers just like one time murderers being fueled by an emotion is just it is something deviously scary about it there's something i said and i told you right they planned this murder for three whole months and if you have to contemplate and focus on one negative emotion and like want to murder somebody for like three whole months hmm. i mean it should be futile after a point like i mean i'm surprised that I mean I okay Joan went with it she was fueled by hatred and all that but Goldine I'm surprised that Goldine still went along with the plans for 3 whole months because if it were me I would have been over by over it like if I mean it's not even my own personal cause right so I mean that's what I don't understand about this case yeah. and the fact that like um homosexuality was such a taboo and like which is why we can't get proper details about this case from mainstream media is mm. is pretty disheartening to be honest feels bad man feels bad yep yes but yeah it felt good to re- be researching again and to be recording this again so i know right yeah. it's been so long and all these exams yes, it it was i know exams oh i hate exams but yeah i mean we should we, i think we after this will be back on proper schedule and we'll be um, uploading frequently as we did before yeah and um yeah it's been fun it is fun so we'll probably see you next week yep this is uh oh wait yeah do follow us and like yes friends family to listen to us i know i know like times are tough okay but but you can definitely listen to us we're free you know what you know what you know what i think is a good idea i'll probably like link in our social media in the description of this podcast so that if you guys have any cases that you'd like us to cover you can dm us and we'll probably yeah. do it yeah 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 we'll do that we so do that. um thanks for listening guys it's been fun yeah. we'll see you soon Bye yeah. Bye. Bye.